Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Helen. And this is the Squiggly Careers podcast. Every week we take a topic to do with work and we come up with some ideas, we share some frameworks that we hope will help you, and it does always help us, to navigate those squiggly careers with just that bit more confidence and control. I like how you said, we just come up with some ideas, we just sort of talk to each other and throw some ideas. <laughs> Let's face it, that is what we do. There's research that has gone into this. Today's topic... Actually, we've done a lot of research yes, today. Today's topic is deliberate practice, and we've both read an awful lot around deliberate practice. I'm not sure we just come up with ideas. It's like a bit of a mixture, everybody. And if this is the first time you have listened, as well as coming up with some ideas, we also create some resources for you. Things like our pod sheet. So what you're going to hear Sarah and I talk about today, you'll be able to download a one-page summary. Lots of people tell us they use that in their teams at work so that they can talk about this topic together. So that could be useful. We also have little swipeable summaries that we put on the Amazing If pages on Instagram and on LinkedIn. So if you like this topic and you want to share it with other people, because you think it might help them please make sure you follow there and share that would be cool and if you want to talk about it a little bit more we've got pod plus which happens on a thursday morning at nine o'clock it's a free 30 minute session and we just dive in a bit deeper into the topic and hear what the community think about it so all of that is freely available for you you can find out about it on our website which is amazingif.com and if you ever can't find stuff just email us helen and sarah at squigglycareers.com So today's topic is deliberate practice. And what that means is practice that focuses on tasks beyond your current level of competence and comfort. And I had a real aha moment when I was reading about deliberate practice, practicing, learning by doing in terms of just understanding the difference between the three. And I think you can relate it usually quite quickly to something in your life where you think, oh, that's why I'm not getting any better at that thing. Because there is a really clear difference between learning by doing and learning by deliberate practicing. Because essentially, not all practice makes perfect. And if you just learn by doing, essentially what that means is you're turning up and doing a lot of the same thing, probably in the same way, and sort of hoping that you will get better. And I do think, to an extent, you probably do get a bit better But if you're really ambitious for getting much better at something, really extending your skills, you need to move beyond just doing something a lot into this idea of deliberate practice. It's just a more efficient way of learning because you'll get to a higher level of competence with whatever the thing you want to focus on sooner. But I would say it does require more effort just doing the same thing. (laughs) I'm I'm just putting that out there. When Sarah and I talk a bit more about this and the ideas that we've got for you, it is definitely a, you know, make a choice about what you want to improve in and then commit the effort to doing it because deliberate practice is a real, it is something that you have to sort of design your development around. This doesn't just happen. You kind of have to put the effort 
into it. But the payoff, the payoff is is pretty big. So the person who's done quite a lot of work on this is someone called Anders Ericsson. You can have a look into his work. We'll we'll, we'll link to him, some of his stuff actually in the pod sheet if you want to dive in a bit deeper. But at a very high level, when you look at kind of, well, what does it mean to have kind of this process of deliberate practice that you sort of design your development around? It starts super simply with a goal. So you need to be really clear about kind of what you want to improve in. You need to be able to improve on that thing without distraction. There's like a high level of focus around that learning activity. You've got to build in a feedback mechanism so you can see how you're doing, what you could improve upon. So you've got that sort of that data coming back for your development. And then you've got to use that data to adapt what you're doing and then basically do it all again on repeat. And that's the point about taking effort because, you know, you really have to design your learning around that and you really have to commit to doing something different so you continually get that little bit better. And whilst this is a very kind of self-directed way of learning, you don't have to do all this alone. That feedback bit in particular is really useful to get somebody else who might be maybe better at this thing than you are or maybe somebody else who can be really kind of like a critical friend who can see what you're doing and sort of give you a bit more perspective on how you could do it differently so very self-directed but you don't have to do all of it on your own really when you're thinking about deliberate practice and I think this can be useful for a few different things in a squiggly career almost depending on what's most important to you I think you can make a choice about where you apply deliberate practice So you might think I'm going to apply the structure of deliberate practice to learning a new skill where I do want to get a lot better at it. So I'm not just playing tennis for the fun of it, which you could completely choose to do. Actually, I do want to get a lot better. So then you might choose this deliberate practice method to get much, much better at it. Or you could apply deliberate practice to something you are already good at. So stretching a strength that you've got and thinking, right, I want to be even more expert in this area and you'll sort of set yourself up so that as Helen said you don't waste energy that you're efficient in terms of how you do that and you can also and we'll talk about some examples of this you might also do this as a team so I think within a squiggly career when we're thinking about deliberate practice it's very easy to apply this individually you know it feels like quite an individual thing how can I get much better or how can I learn this new skill but I think you could also ask a wee question well, what is it that we want to deliberately practice as a team or as an organisation? And I think that helps to translate some of this research into something that feels very kind of practical for all of us. It is useful to be aware that the research on deliberate practice came from this idea of who makes it as an expert. And as I was reading this, I was thinking, oh, but for a long time in my career, I didn't want to be an expert. I was a very, very happy generalist. And so that's also worth you a question you asking yourself. Are you trying to be an expert in a certain field? Are you trying to be a specialist? In which case, like, great, this will definitely work. Probably for most of us, we're not trying to be experts, but we can apply this learning to something we just want to get better at. I'm probably more, want to be more of an expert now than I ever have in terms of in career development. So this feels like I would apply this differently now versus, say, when I was working in a big organisation. And the one other thing which often comes up, which lots of you I'm sure will know or have heard of because it's been really popularised, probably by Malcolm Gladwell more than anyone, is the 10,000 hours rule. This like, wow, which feels really daunting, doesn't it? Like, it's over a year continuously, I think. Without sleep. uh, No, I think you do get sleep. When I was reading, like, (laughs) what is actually, how long would it take? But you'd be doing nothing else. So it's 10,000 hours often looks like realistically, I think more than 10 years. 
And so for most of us, you're like, wow, that's a big old commitment. The next 10 years of my life, like sometime deliberately practicing. I wouldn't get too hung up in the 10,000 hours rule because it came from research into almost like, who is the number one chess player in the world? Who's the best at this instrument? And for most of us, that that's not our goal. That's not our ambition. The really important point is when you deliberately practice something, to really see the progress, it is likely to take time. So this is not a quick win. This is not a fast payoff. And almost like if that's what we are expecting, we are setting ourselves up to fail. But the likelihood of it needing 10,000 hours, that really depends on what you're trying to do. If you want to be a professional footballer, then hey, maybe it will take 10,000 hours and you probably need to start from when you're about six. Yeah, this might not be the episode for you. Um, yeah. But if you just want to get a bit better at something that you think is important for your development, this will be a really good episode for you. It's not really about becoming the world best at dot, dot, dot. It's just about how can I kind of move significantly forward in my skill from where I'm starting from. That's what this is, this is all about. And to get away from the idea of, you know, being the world's best football or tennis player, all those kind of sporting examples, we're going to give you some really practical ideas for things that you might want to improve upon at work that you can use deliberate practice for. So the way the rest of this episode is going to go is Sarah and I are going to work through the process for deliberate practice. And we're going to take an example of something that we both want to improve in to sort of bring all this to life. And as I said before, we'll document this process for you in the pod sheet so you can kind of follow it step by step when you might be doing this for yourself. So step one, you need to be specific about what you want to deliberately practice and why. And as Sarah said, this could be as an individual or as a team. So some examples here, writing. So obviously Sarah and I, if, you, if you're regular listeners, you'll know that we are writing a book and we want it to be our best book yet. So that's something we might want to sort of deliberately practice. But this could be, you know, you might not be writing a book. It could be emails. You're probably writing a lot of emails and you might think, do you know what? I want my emails to be like the best thing that land in people's inbox. So that could be something. It could be presenting and maybe specifically, maybe it's in-person presenting or maybe it's virtual presenting or maybe it's the presentations you do to your department. Again, the more specific you can be, sort of easier it is to design deliberate practice around it could be listening, a really core skill for work, one that is often overrated by ourselves. So maybe you want to improve your listening or maybe a career skill like curiosity, which is hugely helpful for your learning. Maybe it's building relationships. So um, beyond the ones that you have today, how could you kind of get more confident in building or working your weak ties, those relationships that are sort of outside of your immediate world of work? Or maybe it's improving your brand, improving your profile, and maybe your presence on social media. They're just some ideas of things that you could apply deliberate practice to that might feel more relevant to your day-to-day than kind of where some of this research has, has started from. And as I said, it's important to know what you want to deliberately practice, but also why. So creating a bit of that emotional connection, like why does this matter to you? Because that just means we're more likely to stick at this stuff. And as we've mentioned, these are the steps that we're going to go through require effort. So having a bit of stickiness behind the skill you want to develop is really, really important. So Sarah, what do you want to deliberately practice and why? So the more I read about this, I changed my mind um, on on the answer to this one. So I would like to deliberately practice how we experiment as an organization. So this sort of goes beyond me into everybody in Amazing If. And the reason for that is I was, um, I read a really interesting article about how deliberate practice sort of partners really well with the idea of experimenting. It's sort of those, those two things are kind of very happy. They kind of work together really well. 
And also I reflected on how we experiment at the moment. And I think we learn by doing rather than learn by practicing. So we do have experiments in Amazing If. So so we sort of do the experiment, but I don't think we are deliberately practicing getting better at experiments. We sort of do them and we'll we'll label something. We'll say we're doing this new project or we're trying out a different process and we'll label it. We'll say, oh yeah, that's a good experiment. But then we just sort of do it and I'm not sure we are getting better at experimenting. So back to the point on deliberate practice is you're practicing to make progress. And if I think about how we experiment now versus how we experimented nine months ago, it doesn't feel that different or it doesn't feel like it's progressed as much as it could and then that's where that point really struck home with me I was like well doing is not enough when it comes to deliberate practice now it's probably better than not doing it at all which is good so we should kind of give ourselves credit we've got to this point but I feel like we've sort of got the building blocks now in Amazing If to really start experimenting in a different way that would accelerate our learning so I wanted to think about like what might that look like Mine's quite small and specific, which I think is helpful with this. My thing I would like to deliberately practice is how I introduce myself and sort of us as a company. And the reason why this matters to me is I don't I don't really like how it feels when the first moment I meet someone, I feel a bit awkward. Like I want that to feel like a really empowering moment and I want to feel like I've really positioned us in a really confident positive way and at the moment because we do quite a few things I'm like oh there's a podcast and some books and we we train about 5,000 people a week I feel like I just like reel off all these like things and I just want to have a really clear compelling confident introduction and I do it quite a lot back to the point of doing rather than different practice I do it quite a lot and I don't feel like it's getting better so I feel quite kind of emotively attached to improving my introductions yeah and I think your point there was a good one you know when you said uh like emotionally like why is this something you want to deliberately practice I think it's I'd not really thought about that but now when I think about or oh, the fact that I've chosen experiments one of my values is ideas and another one of my values is learning so you're like oh what are experiments you know you're testing ideas you're hoping that you're going to learn a lot from them so I think we've probably both picked something that appeals to us personally, even though mine is much broader, yours is sort of smaller and more specific and much more individual. I can see why they're both important to us. Like I can see, you always tell me, oh, I didn't like how I introduced myself. Like you've said that to me quite a few times. And I think I've read a lot about experiments and you know when something kind of keeps going around in your mind, but you feel like you've not moved any further forward. So I think just that point about like, why does this matter to you will just helps you to just make sure you've got the motivation behind this because otherwise I think you do just keep doing and I think that is okay you know there are things it's often easier to think of personal examples I think when you think of deliberate practice there are definitely things I do where I'm like I'm not trying to be loads better at that thing I'm just doing it to keep fit or I'm just doing it because I know it's it, it's a good thing for me like when I go for walks in the day to take a quick break I'm not trying to walk faster I'm not trying to walk better I'm just going for a walk you like there's no there's no deliberate practice there I think probably when I was reflecting on this I was like oh how many things should you be deliberately practicing at once I was thinking probably only one yeah I think if, one. if you're if you're going to do this it's not an easy thing to have all of the different component parts we're going to talk about I was like oh I don't know how you would have the space for more than one you could perhaps have one professional and one personal yeah, maybe. You, and I think you'd be ambitious, also, though, wouldn't it? It would be ambitious. It's also got to be, you've got to stay quite open because you know, you know, like being aware of like every time you do this. And then you've got to also kind of be open to critical feedback. 
you know, oh, mm. oh, that wasn't as good as the time before and why? And and making sure that you're able to kind of hear that or hear it from somebody else. Like, I'm not sure. You know, if you were trying to do five at once, I think you could be like, oh, I'm, yeah. just, I'm basically just rubbish. I can't <laughs> introduce myself or do my job or help other people. Well, just go back to bed. So yeah, I think maybe one thing at once with a very open, positive perspective on it. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So step number two is all about productive practice. So how you practice matters and sort of how you kind of sort of set yourself up for this and plan your practice makes a really big difference. So the first thing that matters is the level of attention you have. So if I if I take mine as an example here, so my introduction, I need to be really kind of aware that this is a moment that I am introducing myself and I need to be aware of who I'm doing it with. I can't kind of be like chatting to five people at once and looking around a room and being like, oh, hi, I'm Helen. Oh, hi, I'm Helen. Like I have to have a high level of tension and kind of identify this as a moment to improve my introductions. So I think whatever the thing is that you want to focus on, be really aware of like when and where am I going to practice that thing? And how do I make sure that in that moment, I have a really high level of attention? So, you know, take something like writing an email, for example. If you're like, oh, I'm going to practice that at nine o'clock every morning, I'm going to write three emails in like really like high quality emails. But you've got somebody who keeps, I don't know, messaging on Microsoft Teams, or if you're in the office, they keep chatting to you. Like that is not going to help you to really focus on improving in that particular area at that particular point in time. So the sort of the what and the when in order to increase your attention to that improvement is a really, really important thing to design into your practice. And in the research that both Helen and I have read, they are very clear that you're better off practicing for short amounts of time with very high attention than long amounts of time and low attention. So if you were like, oh, it's fine because I'm just going to keep coming back to emails during the day, that won't work. Now, obviously, dream scenario, you have a good amount of time and high attention. But, you know, you've also got to be you've got to be realistic about it. So these are really moments where you want to minimize any distraction downfalls, 
really kind of be in it. So really think about like what that looks like for you. So that's attention. And then you've got retention, which is just as important, which is thinking about how do you make sure that then each time your deliberate practice builds on the time before. And there are a few things just to think about. Firstly, a bit of spacing. So spacing essentially just leaving a bit of time between your practicing so that you can consolidate, you can keep coming back to it, you can see what you remember. And actually they talk a lot about things like the importance of sleep and rest. And I suppose if you think about, say, professional athletes, it's why they really commonly talk about rest days. That's why they have rest days because the body needs time to recover. So I think for us normal people, if we think, I think about it, oh, my brain needs time to recover. You know, not less, less so my body. I probably just need to do more exercise to be honest. So spacing and rest do matter. So let's say you were, I don't know, you were thinking about writing better PowerPoint presentations. If you have no gap from that, if you just feel like you're doing one every day, that's probably not a good thing for deliberate practice. So you probably need a day away from them or you probably need a couple of hours away from them. So just think about that. And at the same time, which might feel like a bit of a tension, but I think not if we're sensible about it, you do also need to think about repetition. So I think it's very hard to deliberately practice something that you're not doing particularly frequently. So for Helen, you might be like, well, that's fine. She knows that she's going to meet enough people like in a week and it happens commonly enough. For me, actually, this is one that would give me pause for thought because yes, we have experiments in Amazing If, but I can't look at a meeting or a moment and go, oh, well, that's the time we talk about experiments or that's the time we design experiments. We have our good growth guides, which is where we talk about our what's to work on and our experiments. So that could be a good place for them. But that's one where I need to think about, I'm like, well, when does that happen? Because at the moment it happens in a very ad hoc way. So that's a good flag of if something is ad hoc, you'll need to change something if you want to achieve deliberate practice. So the way that we're set up to do experiments at the moment, that's not going to happen for me. So I'll, I'll need to think about, okay, so does that look like a conversation with Helen every couple of weeks on how we're experimenting with Amazing If. Does that look like something in our team meetings on the agenda every quarter about how we're experimenting? Like, what do I need to do differently? So so that's a good prompt for me. I think the spacing one for me, I probably introduced myself to about either three people or three groups of people a day, just because of the way that our work is. Sarah and I are doing, you know, we do lots of career development sessions. So there's often lots of new communities. So I think for me, the way I would do it is rather than, all day thinking about my introductions I probably think about that first introduction of the day and then I yeah. give myself some space for the rest of them just to kind of relax and be normal but I'd really put that like height and level of attention and the spacing in by doing it just that that very first one and then I'd kind of move on to the next steps that follow so step three is self and supported feedback loop so the first thing here is this idea of coaching yourself see excellent book you coach you which we uh, <laughs> which we which we created i did read i did read this and think i don't think we had read i don't think i knew as much about this when we wrote you coach you and i was like that's a miss that should probably be in there but never mind but there's there's definitely a link between coaching yourself and deliberate practice and what's interesting is when you read the examples of this this is quite confronting because it is the skill of self critiquing so it's giving yourself a bit of space revisiting what you did and then asking yourself how would you make it better now so for Helen for example that would look like introducing herself and then an hour later or as soon as she sort of got a bit of space to reflect on it 
probably going back and watching the video she certainly if it's online she she would be able to do that she would have to go back and watch that video and then almost rewrite what she said to be even better it couldn't just be oh, i'm just going to think about it again she'd have to go back and watch it easier to do virtually obviously than it would be in person because she sort of doesn't have that luxury in person she'd probably just need to maybe on her way home or when she was next sort of transitioning from one thing to another think okay what did I say how did that make me feel what would I rewrite for next time so it is quite um it's almost quite a forensic way of giving yourself feedback and you are what I think will probably feel quite hard about it is yes you sort of look at the good stuff but what you're really interested in is like the better stuff like how would you be even better for next time and then the bit about getting coaching and mentoring here this again is very specific so this is not just having a supportive manager or someone who's sort of helping you along the way this is really having someone who will challenge you to higher levels of performance so this is someone who you are going to be better at that skill because you not only you sort of spend time with them but they are giving you feedback that often or is likely at some points along the way to feel quite painful so often um, in the examples, these are people who are already better at that thing. And again, they are picking out the things that you don't do well. And they are talking about kind of the gaps that you've got to really get to, you know, making even more progress on something. So I think this is unlikely to be lots of people from what I've read, much more likely to be an individual. And also it's quite a specific brief for them in terms of like what you need from them, what you're looking for from them. Because again, when I was thinking about um, experiments and experimenting as a deliberate practice, I was then thinking about, okay, who do I know who runs a company where almost experimenting is part of their DNA or has been part of their DNA? And could I ask them very specifically to say, okay, well, that's something that I am trying to get better at and then be really you know, you've got to be really clear about your brief in terms of what, what that looks like around the support that you need and giving them a lot of permission to say, you need someone to be quite a fierce feedback friend, I think here. Yeah, I agree. As someone who's got a very specific skill, they can be clear and quite direct. It's that sort of radical candor approach. And there needs to be quite a lot of trust in that relationship that you can sort of hear what they're saying without getting too defensive about it. So I think that's sort of like part of your brief is that's what that's what you're opening yourself up to when you when you kind of create that um, sort of peer coaching relationship. You do read that people who are very, very good at deliberate practice are also good at let's say you give me some feedback on experimenting, you do get to the point where you also realize what's useful for you and maybe what isn't. And I was like, oh, wow, that's like another skill on top of it. So people don't just go, oh, well, I'm just going to do everything you say all at the same time. You might go, well, the thing that feels like it's going to help me the most back to self-coaching is A. So that's the first thing I'm going to integrate, but maybe I'll leave some of those things. So you also have this kind of filtering of the feedback whilst at the same time being incredibly open to it and I was thinking wow that's it is quite a sophisticated skill it's just in terms of just how open you have to be and then you have to think well what does this mean for me and then you have to do something differently as a result I was like no wonder deliberate practice is so hard <laughs> yeah. um 
But don't worry, because step four is going to help you feel really positive (laughs) because step four is about building in rewards along the way. So we don't want you to think about, okay, what's this skill that I want to improve? And then I'm going to deliberately practice. And in one year's time, I'm going to get to where I want to be because all that effort that Sarah has been talking about, you know, it's going to take time. It's probably not going to always feel comfortable to hear some of those messages about your improvement areas. And so what we want to do is sort of design in a way that you can see the progress that you're making, that you can kind of reward yourself along the way and I think how you do this is quite individual so I I was thinking about well what would this look like for me how would I be able to sort of see my progress and sort of design in some rewards I think I could give myself a score I could potentially get a score as well in my feedback but like a score of how kind of effective I felt that introduction was out of a score of one to 10. So for example, I did one yesterday and I would, if I just reflect on it yesterday, I don't, I don't think my presentation was that bad, but if I was thinking about my introduction, I'd probably give myself a six out of 10 for my introduction. I mean, I'd give myself a two out of 10 for my clothes. I haven't even mentioned my clothes. <laughs> my clothes was really bad. My clothes, I was just like, so Thank thanks you. everyone. Honestly, exactly. That's like, thanks everyone. I'm Helen or whatever. I didn't think I, I was just like, thanks everyone. Questions? <laughs> I kind of think at the end. So I definitely, my, that, the ending is even worse. That I need to work on. So I think uh, keeping my, like a self score would probably be a useful way to be able to see my progress. And, you know, my aim is to, kind of get an average nine out of 10. I'd love to kind of get to that and and the occasional 10, uh, I'll bank one of those. And then I think, again, rewards are very personal, but mine are mostly things that I would consume. <laughs> Generally like wine or chocolate, but you know, you, you kind of do what works for you. But like every time I hit a 10, I might be like, right, I really want to share that success with somebody else. So that'd be a way you can design an award because that can feel like a bit of a boost that someone else is like, well done. And I'd probably, you know, approve the purchasing of an expensive of chocolate truffle is normally what I would do when I and when I hit a target that I'm, I'm working towards what about you I think my rewards often come from maybe more intrinsic things extra, <laughs> extrinsic things we're, we're slightly different in that way I no think. chocolate truffles no um well, I do like chocolate but still <laughs> I think I'm I'm always quite motivated by a sort of a before and an after a from and a to probably more so th- than you are though you do like a score definitely or like you love a I don't know some sort of benchmarking <laughs> scorecard or something um <laughs> but I think if I have clearly defined this is where I am today and this is where I want to be quite far in the future because I'm very I'm motivated by future states and things that are quite far away and I quite like working towards those things if I can say okay well to get from if experiments today we learn by doing and in a year's time I would like to feel our experiments are learning by practicing by deliberate practicing I think I would need to map out the well here are six things that are going to need to happen along the way to make that happen and then keep coming back to those six things and being like, right, well, where am I versus that one? Where am I versus that one? And it would be like a red, amber, green. I always quite like a red, amber, green. And seeing those things go green actually is enough for me. Mm. That is like, funnily enough, that's all I need from life. It's like, <laughs> is having that clarity of direction. Because I think I, because I'm achieved like you, we've both got value as achievement. So I like to achieve stuff. And I think once I've made a decision to do something, then I'm pretty focused and quite single-minded on then making that thing happen. So that's what it would need to look like for me. So I think if I genuinely wanted to do what we've talked about today, which for me feels like I'm quite far away from this at the moment. And it was only through researching for this podcast that I've sort of got to this conclusion about all experiments and 
the learning by doing versus learning by practicing has really struck a chord with me to just, you know, to just identify that thing where you really want to accelerate your learning. Because I think learning by doing incrementally, you will improve, but learning by practicing is just so much deli- more deliberate. And I do, you know, you don't need to be perfect with every single one of these steps, but I think even if you had a few of them, you would make much more progress. And I like making progress. So I think that's what I would need. I would need like a Miro map of what was going to happen. And then I'd need to keep coming back to that map every month and be like, oh yeah, get to turn that green, get to t- that, oh, that's a bit more amber. And that's it. That's all I need in my life. Sarah does like a traffic light system. Um, yeah, I do. I, I was just thinking when you were talking that the other thing for me that always feels like a reward is when I can use what works for me to help someone else. So I feel Actually, like- that's true. Yeah, yeah that's a quite, so if at the, end of, at the end of this process, I could unlock how to do better introductions in a way that, I could share with people and be like, oh, this yeah. is this is how I'm like deconstructed doing introductions and it really works. And it feels really authentic and it really like sticks with people. And this is how you can do it too. Like that kind of having mastered something and then being able to share it so other people could do it. I like love that. That's I mean, that's what our company's been built on, right? Like we did this stuff, it worked for us. Let's try and help everyone to do it too. So I think, yeah. But the, I guess the main point is rewards are very personal. So you've got to kind of, you know, work out what that looks like for you. But we all need to be able to sort of see progress along the way to whatever this thing we're trying to deliberately practice, the outcome that we're trying to work towards, that ability to see how far you've come um, and sort of the journey that you're on and to see that you're making progress is a really important part of, of being able to sort of stick to this deliberate practice effort. And if it's something you just love to dive a bit deeper into, I would really recommend the Farnham Street blog on deliberate practice it's sort of a good guide and a really good overview and um, so we'll link to that and there are a couple of really good hbr articles on things like the ten thousand hour rule which is also where i saw some of the stuff around experimenting um and actually just again the research on making an expert again you don't have to be an expert but there's there's some good things that you can read that give you a useful sense of what does this mean for me and now Sarah we're going to have to cut this podcast short because straight after this I'm going to go do a session and I'm going to introduce myself (laughs) how's that going to go no pressure (laughs) should I come and watch you and be like make notes no no I'm just going to do that one the next one I'll deliberately practice (laughs) it's the next one it's the next one it's always the next one is that like an avoidance tactic (laughs) oh my gosh maybe I should maybe I should introduce myself on pod plus and get some feedback from everybody oh my gosh I've said it now (laughs) come to pod plus everybody on Thursday give me some feedback on my introduction (laughs) oh that'd be painful um for less painful ways to practice deliberate practice download our pod sheet uh but yeah download the pod sheet the four steps just in summary uh work out what you want to deliberately practice and why number two make sure that you're kind of designing for productive practice that's with attention and retention step three have self and supported feedback loops and step four design in rewards along the way So we hope you found this episode useful. If there's any topics you'd like us to cover or career questions that you need some support with, you can email us anytime. We're Helen and Sarah at squigglycareers.com. That's everything for this week. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back with you again soon. Bye for now. Bye everyone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or 
anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 